0: Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of Conversations with the Bearded Mystic and I'm your host Rahul N Singh. So today we're just going to be giving you a clip about our first conversation with Liam, also known as Yamsox. He is a great philosopher, a mathematician and a spiritual wise individual. You can imagine there's a lot to take in now this is just a short clip if you want to listen to the full episode you do need to go onto my patreon and you will find the details in the show notes and video description below and here is the conversation and so would you say that obviously your dad being agnostic and your mother having a a number of differing practices you mentioned how it helped you in Get a carving a path so to speak for yourself but what was the click that got you to share your message say on social media like what was the what was the the turning point for you uh, hmm. and how did the background of your parents and the way they uh, the way you observed their life how did that impact that turning point
1: yeah oh I like this so perhaps for a good portion of my life, I was increasingly becoming more skeptical towards all things, uh, sort of reductionism. And, and my parents were well aware of this. And I'd, I'd, I'd begin to, of course, like all, you know, teenagers question the authority of my parents and especially the authority of their wisdom and, and their beliefs and whatnot. And I was slowly treading down a path of the, of the sciences, which was quite interesting because uh, neither of my parents had a preference for science in, in their lives. And as I continued down that path of sciences and theoretical mathematics, you know, very, Uh, Very precise sciences. It eventually led me through a strange series of events, like a lot of people to Buddhism and Hinduism and things like that. And I began to practice meditation. And eventually, at some point, I had such a profound meditation that I picked up the phone, called my mom and like was crying. And I said, it's all true. It's all true. And I think that was the turning point i had to pinpoint it well i would like to ask is
0: what type of meditation did you do i know that different meditations have different results and they're all are valid but what was that meditation that you did that was the
1: turning point for you uh, i can really only speak from experience if this will generate similar effects in others but The meditation that uh, happened to me occurred on a walk home from uh, a graveyard shift stocking inventory. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was such a bad timing, but almost perfect timing because it took about two hours to walk home or I could wait there for an hour until the bus came and then bus an hour home. And that would take about the exact same time. And so they gave me a quite an interesting choice whether I wanted to just sit still on a bench for an hour or or walk for 2 hours. I feel like both are are, are just this quite quite a quite a choice to be made there. Anyway, I chose the walk home and on the walk home there was this uh, beautiful gary oak meadow uh just the serene the golden dawn of light shining through the trees and the branches and upon a rock sitting in a clearing there was this magazine that said union on it and i thought well wouldn't that be a nice place to meditate (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i climbed to the rock sat on it and i just sat cross-legged on the mossy knoll and all i did was focus on the breath Mm. and As simple as that sounds, uh, within maybe 15 or 20 minutes, a certain uh, sensation started arising within my legs, as if uh, this, this force had welcomed its way through my toes, up the soles of my feet and the calves, through to the thighs. And slowly, from the very bottom of my spine upwards, Uh, My body was blending together. I couldn't feel the distinction between one leg or another. There was just body. That was it. That was my only appendage was body. Mm -hmm. And as I started breathing, it, it would feel as though I was pulling on this force, this prana, some might call upwards from around the stomach region to the base of the neck in which it would flower outwards down the arms and that's when I started getting freaked out (laughs) there was a lot of fear in my mind at that point my heart felt like it were to burst that definitely that fear took a hold of me and it kind of killed the meditation but what didn't stop was the persistence of that flame that fire that force which was pervading my body and it was quite terrifying because it would take hold of my arms and hands and I could not move them. It felt like what I would imagine someone with ALS might feel because there was there was this urge, this yearning to move the hand that I definitely have control over, but it was frozen in, uh, in a mudra position. And And that was quite interesting because I didn't even start the meditation in a mudra, but somehow or another, I felt like I had been forced into a mudra and I couldn't get out of it, even though I was no longer focusing on my breathing. And it took about 10 minutes for that to dissipate. But that sheer energy, which I experienced, proved to me that it was all real. And so I had to phone my mom shortly after getting home.
0: <laughs> nice nice that that's incredible. so for me, listening to your experience is kind of like similar to what I had. I was walking down the road, I looked up into the sky, and I just felt oneness with it, and there was no like there was no separate me, and there's no separate sky or space you know i could see the stars and the clouds and yet there was an interconnectedness to everything at that time and i felt the same like elation ecstasy joy tears rolling down my face and but as soon as it happened i felt like i got out of it just as like literally it was of, yeah it's very fleeting but that was when i realized the importance of just meditating and actually having a practice uh, so i could work on on that but it was nice to have a little signpost a little kind of sneak peek a little teaser trailer um, (laughs) uh, to say you know what there's something you can enjoy here Uh, why don't you take that opportunity that's interesting how i think sometimes being in nature invokes this spirit of Togetherness. I really love that you said that you automatically got yourself into a mudra. Did you have the vocabulary to express your experience, or was it after you
1: read some of the scriptures that you then got the vocab to express it? That's a really interesting question. And it's interesting because I don't know. (laughs) Like, there is a certain knowledge I have when it comes to terminology and vocabulary of these experiences described in Vedic scripture and the Upanishads, etc. But I don't remember ever reading them, at least mm-hmm. not in this lifetime. And this confusion, it was was further dampened in just perhaps a year before that experience where I had been doing some theoretical mathematics. And it led me to a conclusion that for some reason I had known was the heart of Buddhism. And at that time, it made perfect sense how I made that connection. But now looking back on it now, I have no idea how I knew that connection because I had never actually studied Buddhism as far as my memory goes, nor the connections that were then soon made with Hinduism. My only experiences were simply having statues of the Buddha around my house, and my mother couldn't tell me uh, a single word from any sutra. So I wish I had an answer, but it has also fascinated me. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> interesting, interesting.
0: Because, like, for even though I had a relatively spiritual upbringing, but I felt after my meditation experiences when I read the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita then I was like oh yeah this is exactly what I experienced I didn't have the words for it or I would read words from different mystics and I'd be like yeah this is exactly what I experienced but yeah they just helped me give words to the experience that I had that I didn't previously I couldn't express it before to anyone but it helped me which was nice to kind of say that I'm on the right path. Just keep going forward, and that's how I saw it as. Really, not as yeah. oh, you got there. Um, for me, anyway,
1: I'm not there. But it's lovely yeah. that it happened in that order of experience, and then the readings. Because for the other way around, you might be, you know, have this bias for confirmation, but yes. without any prior knowledge, that's like well, it's that's as much proof as as as, as possible without
0: any. So. But the one thing i do want to ask you and i was intrigued when i was watching your tiktok videos is i'm going to first ask what is consciousness or awareness as you define it what is consciousness
1: sure. to you and what is awareness to you well i'd first like to preface such an extraordinary question with the first <laughs> line of the Tao Te Ching The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. So any future words on the matter uh, are simply only an expression and cannot contain the source of it itself. That said, that's enough to say, but I I think it's important to answer why is that the case? Why is it that consciousness or the truth of the matter cannot be uh, expressed entirely? And I think it is not so different then how the natural states of any system can only be expressed by breaking the natural state. For example, the natural state of the sound system is silence, but silence can only be expressed by breaking silence and blackness. The natural state of, of sight can only be expressed by breaking blackness and shining light. You name any system, the natural state in order to express it, talk about it, visualize it. It has to be broken or maybe broken is not the right word, but expressed out of the natural state to express the natural state. And consciousness, of course, is our natural state, the essence of our being. And so in order to express or talk about what consciousness is, we have to break consciousness or break it out of the natural state and talk about things that aren't necessarily consciousness itself. <laughs> so that is what I would say it is, <laughs> it's the natural state.
0: Interesting. So let me just go a bit more precise now. So what, if for a lay person, what is the natural state? Because... For them, maybe, or for anyone that's not accustomed to the spiritual path may think, well, the life they're living is the natural state. Going out, getting a job, or you know, having desires, is that the natural state? What
1: is the natural state? Right, right. So let's do another example of a natural state. This one's for the more physically inclined, but I think it does make sense anyway. If we imagine the natural state of of the physical world as vacuum, and we understand that that vacuum or void or that space, all the same thing, just use different words, that spaciousness, absence, vacuum, that is the place in which all things arise from and back into. That space is the place in which particles forming the atoms and molecules and planets and stars form and eventually decay back into it's the stage of creation, preservation and destruction and stillness. And so when we ask what is the natural state, or if we're thinking about a certain agency and that agency is being questioned if that is the natural state or not. We simply have to ask, is that is what has been there this whole time in which all things arise from, maintain for a while, and then decay back into? For example, is silence really the natural state of sound? Well, it is the place which is always being returned to, and it is the place before sounds come. And so I think it would be under those criteria that silence is the natural state of sound. So for consciousness, perhaps it's a bit more difficult because those systems are still external to us and we can mentalize external objects and cognize these things. But consciousness is a little different because, well, it's happening here and right now. So we're kind of To think about it, to think about what the natural state of consciousness is. Well, if we're thinking a thought, then we're provoking an experience within consciousness. Therefore, to even think about what the natural state of consciousness is, we are eliminating the natural state by creating something in its place. So in most simplest terms, the natural state of consciousness must be that in which no thoughts arise perhaps this is not unlike uh, deep sleep which is still a state of consciousness but no objects to be aware of within consciousness the very background layer pervading our existence in which all things arise from persist for a while and then dissolve back into this is the natural state
0: wow yeah that is very powerful i've um that was like a meditation in itself. If I'm honest, bro, <laughs> <laughs> all things are meditation. <laughs> Absolutely, it. So, and I actually do agree with you with that being the natural state. I'm actually fully aligned to what you said. It's there constantly. It, even though, like you mentioned, there may it may have it may break in certain aspects, but that's just an appearance of something breaking, but really that like you said with sound that may break the silence, but actually silence is still there even within yeah. the sound. Yeah. So that yeah, I really think that's a wonderful way of expressing it. One of the best way of I've I've heard to be honest. Uh one of the best explanations. <laughs> that's really cool. So glad. so now uh to get a little bit more deeper into consciousness where is consciousness i cannot see it i cannot i cannot see it around me i cannot see it in my reflection when i look in the mirror so where is this consciousness where is it where can i locate it
1: is there a location it's very difficult to find this is the hard problem of consciousness um i liken it to trying to find a magnifying glass with a magnifying glass it's like you can look through the magnifying glass all you want but it's right there it's Mm -hmm. it's you're you're using it and so when we're using consciousness to find consciousness it's quite funny because it's quite a similar situation where on earth is consciousness relative to our consciousness when we're trying to find it because we try to externalize this the uh the search for it and imagine looking for consciousness within another person you know maybe that means dissecting the neurons and zooming in on an electron microscope and seeing what set of interactions produce this sensation of consciousness but i think they're really looking for mind and not consciousness and sure you might be able to find the mind within the brain but the brain is within the consciousness and so we have this kind of loop going on. We have that the brain arises within consciousness, uh, and but the mind is within the brain, but the mind is what reflects consciousness. And so it's this interesting dynamic system. And so I think it would be important for me to give my distinction between mind and consciousness, which can simply be said by the difference between a, a mirror and its reflection. So the, the, the mind is the place in which we see consciousness. And so we often confuse the mind for consciousness. But it would be not unlike confusing ourselves uh, or, or confusing the reflection for the mirror. And indeed, in some sense, they are one in the same. The reflection and the mirror is one in the same. But there is a distinction there, because the mirror can be without the reflection and the ref- what is being reflected can be without a mirror, and so likewise, when we see, say, someone who has passed away, there is still that mirror there, but no reflection of consciousness. Likewise, theoretically, although it is hard for us to imagine, while well, in these bodies, we can have consciousness, but no mind to reflect it—a sort of uh, disembodied being. But what's interesting then in this analogy as mind as the mirror upon which consciousness can be reflected unto itself is that without a mirror, without a mind, there would be no sense of self because there would be no reflection to see oneself or to be aware of that awareness. And so a truly disembodied being, therefore, uh, would not realize that they uh, have a, they might not realize that they exist. And in some sense, they, they, they doubt this really presses the question what it means to exist. They would have awareness still, but no self-awareness, perhaps not unlike a rock who is aware of the natural laws and still obey by them and are aware of the fluctuations of temperature and the pressure of the atmosphere in which it responds to. But we cannot say that a rock has a mirror a mind in which to direct these senses back onto itself to spark self-awareness or self-consciousness or sentience. So the question of the matter is, where is consciousness? Well, we know the mind is in the brain. The mind is kind of the software upon the hardware that is the brain. But consciousness is reflected by it, thus pervades it, And so we cannot say for certain precisely where it is because, well, it doesn't occupy a place or a space or a time. Only the reflection does, only the mind does, but it itself is the subject to whom which objects such as spaciousness or timeness Mm. (laughs) occur. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, it does to me. Yeah, definitely. When I think about where is consciousness, and I'm often asked this question, and I would say there is no location because the moment I say it's there, it's also going to be here. Like it's, mm. like you said, it's all pervading. So it's very hard to even say that it's located in the mind because, well, for example, when we meditate, we expand there is an expansion that goes on so so yeah and and then again if consciousness is formless by definition then how can you for there to be a a location there needs to be a form of some kind so right so thank you for listening to this clip of conversations with the bearded mystic to listen to the full episode do go on to my patreon And the link is in the video description and show notes below. Thank you. Bye.